When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Hamish Pitbull is with us this morning and uh, also uh, regular Mark Watson is with us as well and uh, Mark if I can start with you please uh, you've watched and seen a lot of sport a lot of touring teams come to our shores never before have I seen a, a team with only enough players able to take the court uh, and that's it because of uh, visa or other complicated issues I cannot get my head around this tiny Jamison issue Mark no, look, it's, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? We haven't seen it historically. Um, this is the team that finished second at the Commonwealth Games in Jamaica. Appears to be issues uh, um, with the United States and how you can have management and the level of infrastructure. I'm assuming that the infrastructure in and around this team, you'd have to historically say, is pretty good that they can somehow um, have such visa issues and that we've got, what, seven players arriving here to take on New Zealand and, you know, inarguably one of the great challenges of netball. And now we're sort of left here probably having to prop them up with a number of um, players from this country. And, yeah, suddenly all the credibility for this tiny Jamison trophy um, is no longer. Uh, zero credibility to it. I'm not actually sure what they're playing for. And actually just reading, too, that I wasn't actually aware, too, that they're also missing the likes of Janelle Fowler, uh, Sterling, their goalkeeper, is also going to be absent, and a number of other Commonwealth Games medalists. So in addition to the squad being reduced to just seven, prior, even with the full squad, they still would have been missing a, a number of their marquee players. So um, disappointing, I would have thought, for broadcaster Sky Television as well. Not ideal. Not good for netball, not good for women's sport, Hamish Bidwell. And, uh, I mean, I've been on a number of tours and I, I, I guess I just take it for granted that you, you hand in all your documentation and you just assume that visas and things will be granted and the, the whole team would travel as a unit. Not so the case this time around. Quite bizarre, I feel. Yeah, there's been a slight precedent before. Uh, I think it was last year. England came out but minus all their Australian-based players and so that series was a waste of time as well. Um, yeah, with with every sport, it's the host nation's responsibility to make sure that um, they get the opposition here. And they must have known after a pinnacle event like the Commonwealth Games that people like Jenny Fowler weren't going to play. You know, you're putting games on for game's sake. You know, we, we've seen this all the time with people. They, they're having to play amongst themselves or play the blokes' teams because they're not well organised enough to get people here or they're not sufficiently attractive to bring people here. And I think a lot of that comes back to the the dismantling of the ANZ Championship with Australia. Like, relations between those two nations aren't that good. Australian netball's in a bit of disarray itself, but they're the team that we should be playing. You know, they would come with a full-strength team. Jamaica, 
had other commitments, they weren't going to come. The difficulty is getting them here. I think it goes back to deciding who you're going to play and making better plans and getting the right team to come, like Australia. Well, we know Australia are coming here on Saturday night, Hamish. Um, after Bledis, this is for uh, Bledisloe 2, and effectively it's not for the Bledisloe Cup. It's uh, all done. Uh, but the Rugby Championship is up for grabs. Uh, quite bizarre happenings on Saturday night, though, to get over, or Thursday night to get over. Yeah, I, I actually wrote something for Rugby Pass prior to the match saying, I hope that Matthew Raynell's not the star of the show and that we're not debating afterwards, not the merits of the teams, but whether a particular law is fit for purpose and whether it was right for Raynell to dictate the outcome. So, look, if Bernard Foley kicks the ball out, Australia won the game, probably. And it's on him. He had time to kick it out. He didn't kick it out. But I, as a fan, um, as someone who doesn't have a horse in the race and... You know, I write about these games, but only in the sense of the, 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 the outcomes dictating what I write. I'm not too bothered about who wins. Um, I want to see the ball in play. I want to see less input from PMOs, assistant referees and referees. I want rugby to be a simpler game to understand and a game where the athletes dictate the result. And there's too many areas where officials can intervene. Uh, we've sought to try and create a perfect game, and we've created a, a muddled game, a game where you can whistle anything at any time, as we saw with Raynell at the end, they're quite unprecedented, that decision. And it's just a shame for fans. You know, a Thursday night in Australia without AFL and NRL on, a lot of non-rusted-on rugby fans watched that match and walked away bemused. And it confirmed their worst suspicions about rugby being an overly officiated game and a difficult-to-understand game, and they might not be back. As good as the contest was, as, you know, give credit New Zealand for coming back. Um, they spoiled an opportunity to promote the game in Australia, and I think in terms of the Wallabies, they fired their shot, and I don't expect them to put up much competition at Eden Park. Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm in agreement there uh, with you about uh, the, the rugby rules side of things, the administrative side of things in terms of how the game is progressing. And uh, we've got uh, an ally too, and uh, Alan Jones, who... Uh, talks about him, I was talking about a pipsqueak from Paris being <laughs> the bloke that decided the outcome of the game as only Alan Jones could do, but he also went on to say that the game has been horribly over-officiated, uh, TMOs etc, Mark Watson, um, and re to be honest, um, anyone that's watched rugby for a long period of time, if it isn't heading that way, it's got there. Yeah, look, I think um, a, a former colleague of mine, I think Chris Rowdy, summed it up nicely in the Herald too. You know you're going to head to the World Cup next year. And you know by the time it gets to quarterfinal, semi-final time, more often than not, we're going to be talking about the referees. We're going to be talking about the marginal calls that have led to either a yellow card or a red card, which have ultimately dictated the outcome of the game. It'll be officiating um, in terms of their interpretation and this nitpicking rather than the rugby itself. And there's a part of a reason why soccer and basketball are the global sports they are, because they're very simple to follow. They've got a really low entry point. And um, I've always said it, you know, if you want a global point of view in rugby, it's, it was always going to be sevens. And I think we've seen that. Uh, look, it's, um, yeah, uh, look, disappointing. I mean, I think there's just inconsistencies too here. I mean, there are, you know, they're slowing the game down every time they set a scrum. They're slowing the game down every time they go to a line-out. I mean, if, you, if, if you're going to be pedantic out slowing it down, you've got to be consistent throughout the game. You can't just pick up on one, one key moment. And it was a decisive moment. And as Hamer said, what is it with French referees? I mean, you know, we saw it with the British and Irish Lions, didn't we, in that third test back in 2017 against the All Blacks. But 
Look, I, I still think that the guy that will be loving all of this is Ian Foster, because let's be honest, mate, the All Blacks lost that test match in my mind. They lost that test match, and we should be talking about yet another loss under Ian Foster, and we're not. The focus is on the referees, and so I think he sort of got out of jail. I'm not as convinced that the All Blacks will walk over this Australian team. Um, if Ian Foster wasn't in charge, I'd be with you, but look, we hadn't really lost to Ireland and up until 2017, and he was part of that Hanson set up, and then we've lost to Ireland this year. We've lost to Argentina under Steve Hanson for the first time in history in Australia, and now this year. So why not? Why not the All Blacks lose for the first time at Eden Park since 1994? I don't like to say it, but you're starting to see a little bit of a, you know, you're starting to see a little bit of a pattern emerge with Ian Foster and his All Black teams. I get frustrated when once again I read about how they've sat down there in a meeting, they've taken a hard long look at themselves, some pretty honest conversations. I mean, that sort of rhetoric and crap we've been hearing all year, yet nothing seems to be able to change um, every two weeks. We just don't seem to have the mental fortitude or aptitude or perhaps we just simply don't have the players. Um, yeah, so look, Saturday night will be fascinating. It will be fascinating. Um, Hamish, uh, I'll give you an opportunity uh, to either agree or disagree with that. And I'll also ask you, Hamish, what would you do with Darcy Swain if you were on the judiciary when you saw that act? Yeah, that's that's one of the frustrations I have. Like, you can... You can do Bernard Foley for wasting time, but you can look at Swain's act as the referee and as the TMO and the ARs, and you can decide that's cool. That's just a yellow. Like, uh, I'd give him sort of six weeks. I'd rub him out for the rest of the year. Um, and if I were Dave Rennie, I wouldn't pick him. I just don't think you can have someone who's a walking penalty and someone who's sort of liable to crook, to commit grubby acts. Like, that's... You don't need that. Like, I don't... You can never judge intent. I wouldn't say that he went to try and injure... Quinty Pyre, but it was bloody ugly. And again, like it was to me, it was like watching um, a, a cricket one where a guy nicks the ball into his pads. Like it's a clear, it's a clear not out. Like how can you look at the pictures that we all saw of what Swain did and not decide that that's a red card? Like that, that shocks me. And it comes back to it's just, I don't know. That's hard. Rugby wants to be black and white, but there's heaps of grey. And we talk about empathy and feel for the game. That's cool. Well, if if there's empathy for the game then the decisions are different. I, I, you know, it's either black and white. Like the Foley thing, like he should have kicked the ball out. It's, there's no grey area there. Like we want it grey and we want it black and what we want feel for the game, but we want litter of the law when it suits us. So the Swain thing, litter of the law, I think he goes. But then we want, we want empathy with, with Foley. Like we are a bit contradictory as fans. Mm. We are. We are indeed. Um, Mark Watson, we say goodbye to Winston Reid as an international footballer this weekend at uh, Eden Park. Uh, he's been a terrific servant. I, I think one of the forerunners too uh, when it comes to real professionalism and football for New Zealanders. Oh, yeah, look, anybody that's played more than 200-night games for West Ham in the highest um, form of the game, which is the English Premier League, is certainly um, a remarkable athlete, not dissimilar to what Stephen Adams has done in basketball and the likes of Sean Marks and Kirk Penny before them. Um, look, yeah, yeah, I mean, for a long time it was always just... We just really only ever talked about Winton Rufa, didn't we, um, in terms of New Zealand football individually or New Zealand footballer individually making their mark internationally. There's been, you know, there has been other players that have sort of played in Dutch leagues and the odd player that's played in sort of the first or second divisions. But yeah, Winston Reid, I mean, it, it just, uh, I think the story in it is that you can grow up and take a puna and you can end up playing in the highest leagues in the world. And if he's done it, 
everybody else can do it. And, you know, Chris Wood's there now, and these guys are showing a pathway. And Winton Roof are similar. Like, you're not going to necessarily go straight to England. You might have to go to Europe and play in some lesser leagues and some lesser countries, but you can get there. And, I, you know, this is what sort of frustrates me at times while the Holberg Awards, we're quite insular in terms of what we look at when we look at individual athletes because they might go and, you know, win something in a game which is, not really that global, it's sort of world famous more in this country and then you get the likes of the Winston Reeds who just go out there and you go do you know how good you have to be to make the starting lineup for West Ham? How good you have to be to even get your foot in the door? How big this game is in the UK? How big this game is in Europe? How many kids are trying to get there? And when you look at it and add it all up you know, you're talking about 0.001% eventually get through to it and um, yeah, and then clearly Winston Reid's, um, you know, and what he achieved in the 2010 Football World Cup you know, um, what about three players, I think, four players in history have scored goals for New Zealand in the World Cup and here's one of them so yeah, really nice that he's coming home and having a farewell here in two games against the Aussies. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think it's actually turning out to be quite a nice touch, this doubleheader against the, the Aussies. Uh, Hamish, but well, I'm a little bit surprised to see there's still quite a few, uh, quite a lot of tickets left, actually, having spoken to the CEO of, of Eden Park this morning uh, on the back end of a, a big doubleheader uh, in Auckland, or triple header, really, because, the, of course, the Blackburns are playing Japan uh, in the first of those uh, three matches. So... Winston Reid and, and the All-Whites at home for the first time in five years. Uh, impressions of that, uh, Hamish? Yeah, they really need to promote the heck out of the Reid angle. Like, there's obviously a Danish component to his development, and we've seen, you know, previously with someone like Simon Elliott, when you don't have a club contract, as Reid doesn't, you're, there's a shelf life to your international career. But it's so important for kids to see people like Reid. Um, you can't dream what you can't see. And I wasn't a QPR or Spurs or Blackburn Rovers fan, but I watched every game that Ryan Nelson played in the EPL for those teams because I was so proud of him. I took inspiration from that, and I would get my son and make him watch. And it was the same with Reed at West Ham. Like, we, ha- we don't do enough to celebrate our heroes and other codes. We're a bit rugby-focused. Like, this, there's a huge football community out here. It's a highest-participation sport. Like, we have to... If we, if we love the game, then we have to support the game. And I can't think of a better opportunity to support football and support the All-Whites than this, than this game at Eden Park. Like, um, Australia are our, our rival because of they're in Asia and we're in Oceania. We, we really play. Like, this is a huge event and we should be celebrating that and we should be promoting Reed and we should be sending them off in good fashion. Right, uh, let's uh, look at uh, Hamish. Uh, the Black Caps are due to be named for the T20 World Cup. I think we're one of the last squads actually to be finalised. Uh, what are you expecting? Are there any contentious positions, Hamish, for you in this squad? Perhaps Adam Milne, um, and whether he comes in or whether they, they like Matt Henry. Um, I think you need some gas in Australia, and I, I certainly like Milne. In some ways, I'm not bothered about who they pick because I don't expect much from them. Um, they did really well in the UAE um, in the last T20 World Cup, but those pitches get a bit tired, and that, that suits New Zealand's batting lineup. I mean, in, a, in an ODI sense, they're not a team that chases down 350. They're, they're a grinding team, and I was um, hardly, well, you know, extremely disappointed with their effort in Australia because they were wickets and totals that traditionally suit New Zealand's batting lineup. We're not an explosive team. We're not in a T20 game going to beat better teams with scores of 200. We we're a 160, 170 team at best. And I thought batting in Australia was really poor. Uh, the way they absorbed so many dot balls, the lack of urgency to, to get between wickets. I, I thought that those wickets, as 
difficult as they were were tailor-made for New Zealand and they didn't take advantage of that. And so I think our cricket's at a bit of a low ebb. Um, I don't know whether how much of that stems from the skipper. Um, so much of the order relies upon him to score the bulk of your runs. Um, I was encouraged with Finn Allen. I don't know whether he'll open at this tournament. I think he should be given the opportunity to. We saw with Guptill that if you don't feed him four balls, he battles to turn the strike over. So, yeah, I, I, I don't have great hopes for New Zealand. Obviously, I think they'll bring Sodi back. I'd like to see Milne, but I suspect they'll go with Henry. Otherwise, it's largely the team that went to Australia to play 50 over cricket. I think you're right. I don't think we've got uh, too much uh, depth in terms of uh, picking them for T20 for 50 over cricket, but um, you might have a different uh, view on that. Uh, Mark Watson, um, uh, traditionally Gary, Stead, Gavin Larson don't pull very many rabbits out of the hat as such. Uh, what are you expecting? Well, if I'm picking this side, I'm not taking Kane Williamson. I think he's been terribly out of form. I don't like his captaincy. I think he's too conservative. I don't think there's room for being conservative in T20 cricket. I'm not taking Martin Guptill. I think his time's up. I think he's good at home, but I think he continues to underwhelm when he plays overseas. And if you look at the recent um, Chapel Hadley series, I think again he proved that Australian conditions he's just not suited to. I mean, you've got the likes of Conway Phillips. Um, you know, I like Mark Chapman. Uh, Jimmy Neesham, yeah, Mitch Santner, another one. Um, you know, do you start him and Anish Sodi? I mean, I think slow bowling at T20 cricket has proven to be uh, very, very effective. But I think, yeah, if you're asking me who I'd leave out, where the, those contentious decisions are, I think it is time for Kane Williamson to sit this one out. I think it is time for Martin Guptill. You, you want to get the same results, keep picking the same sort of team. But, you know, I think the bigger question is when are we actually going to have a review into the last 12 months of New Zealand cricket? When are we going to start holding this cricket team accountable like we do the All Blacks? They do suck up a lot of the media coverage over summer. They are our sort of summer sport. Um, historically, I'm outside of your era, Smithy, the 80s. I mean, you know, maybe there hasn't been a lot of expectation on this team. And so we're somewhat, you know, sort of immune to their failings. But, you know, we had a really good era under Brendan McCullum in recent times. Certainly, um, you know, I think we're in decline. And I think we owe it to the New Zealand public to ask starting some hard questions and making some tough decisions. And, yeah, how much longer should Gary Stead also be in charge of all three forms of the game? Oh, I just think they're far too conservative in their approach. Would you start, uh, uh, Hamish Bidwell, would you start Roger Tuovasa-Shek this weekend? After, you know, hasn't it been this apprenticeship, this learning process, this curve, hasn't it been long enough now? No, he hasn't played in the international rugby of consequence, what is it, 10 minutes ago, so on or what have you. No, I wouldn't play him at all. Um, and there's a couple of reasons. One, I think Barrett, Geordie Barrett is a better bet at 12 than, than anything they've got available at the moment. And two, that enables Will Jordan to play at fullback. I think we have wasted some very good fullbacks on the wing, like Israel Dagg and Ben Smith and now Jordan, and they've done a job for us because they're talented players, but they've not given the best opportunity to utilise their skills. So I'd pick Reese on the wing, I'd put Jordan at fullback, and I'd play Geordie Barrett at 12. OK, cool. Right, um, just finally, um, we're having a bit of a Mount Rushmore today on Stadia, um, famous Stadia or famous stadiums that you've uh, been to. Uh, you've been to some wonderful af athletics venues, etc. Mark Watson. What's your standout uh, venue around the world? The uh, sporting venue you've been to, it doesn't have to be for athletics. Oh, it'd have to be Anfield. Uh, Liverpool, um, not necessarily because of the grandiose stands because it's certainly not in comparison but you just go to a ground like that and just the sheer history that you can sort of um, 
I don't know, there's just all those little idiosyncrasies, those little subtleties from the, you know, from the Hillsborough disaster memorial through to the Shankly Gates uh, being hardcore Liverpool and just understanding the history of the cop. That's for me. And the other one would be, and it's no longer in existence, would have been Maple Leaf Gardens for the Toronto Maple Leafs and ice hockey. Um, I was lucky enough to be there in 98 when it was the last season. Of, it was the last of the original six buildings still in use. And another one where you walked in and the rafters and the smell of, I don't know, you could just sort of feel the history of the Stanley Cups and what that meant to that city. So they're my two. Cool. Okay. Uh, Hamish Bridwell for you. Oh, Athletic Park. I loved Athletic Park. A mate of mine and I would go and watch Wellington B games, cult games, whatever. We loved the park. And the worse the better, the, the worse the weather, the better. Uh, it was just a fantastic venue. You felt you were right on top of the players. You felt they could hear you. You certainly could see them and, and feel the contact. And I, I loved Athletic Park. I used to joke that I'd like to get married to the Millard stand, but it was torn down by the time I got that opportunity or found someone <laughs> unlucky enough to marry me. And, um,. The other one is Lords. I remember going, I've been there a few times, but the first time was 99, and I went there the day before New Zealand's test against England and, and just sort of soaked it up and stood in front of the Grace Gates, and I was quite emotional. It's just like, this is a place you've heard about so much. It's the field of dreams for every international cricketer, and, and to see it and to, to feel the atmosphere, even with empty, was, 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 quite, um, quite, was quite a palpable sense of... of, 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 of Importance. It was a real. It's a citadel of cricket. It's the home of cricket. You know, it's, you've played there. You've commentated there. You know how unique it is and how special it is, especially to touring teams. Um, so yeah, they'd be the two for me. Yeah, uh, actually, and you you bring up a, a very good point there too, Hamish. You know, I think the test of a stadium and the character of a stadium is when you go there and nothing's going on. There's no match on, uh, and you still get the same vibe from it. You still get the same feel. There's enough character about it for you to walk around and look at and think. Wow, wouldn't I have loved to have been out there or wouldn't I love to be here tomorrow when it is full? Um, and that's an excellent point. And Lords is certainly one of those grounds that has so much ambience when you're not even witnessing any cricket. It is quite special. As was the panel this morning, I really enjoyed the opinions of Mark Watson and Hamish Bidwell. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a terrific remainder of the day and we shall have another panel around about 10.20 tomorrow morning. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.